Lord. Even though these are harsh words, Lord, um, these are written, these words for us that we can learn and, and that we can do well because you desire to bless our lives as we walk with you and as we know you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So last week, as we opened up chapter 7 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah in chapter 7 through 10, he's giving these messages when Josiah, who was the last of the good kings in Judah, that he had gave the command to, to clean out the temple. You see, Josiah, uh, as he's the grandson of Manasseh, Manasseh was the worst king that Judah ever had. Manasseh ruled for 55 years. He plunged the nation deep into idol worship, into every kind of occultic practices, and had idols all in the temple. He closed off the temple. He reigned for 55 years, the longest reign of any king of Judah. And so he plunged the nation deep into idol worship and every kind of false uh, god that they would worship. And then, uh, as he would pass on, his son Ammon, would reign for a couple years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as you read Second Chronicles. And as you go into those chapters 33 into chapter 34, then we read about Josiah. Now Ammon, he reigned for only two years because they ended up killing him. And then here comes Josiah. He's eight years old when he comes to the throne. And when he uh, is in his uh, eighth year, when he's 16, the Lord begins to move on his heart. Hilkiah, the high priest, has great influence with Josiah. Uh, he, Hilkiah was a godly man. And we have here Jeremiah, that his father is listed as Hilkiah. Jeremiah comes from a priestly family. So it's very likely that Hilkiah, being the father of Jeremiah, is the high priest that is influencing Josiah. And, and the Lord begins to minister to his heart. And we see that he begins to, uh, to give the command to have reforms, the, the places of idol worship taken away in the idols uh, as well. And then we see in the 18th year of his reign that he gives the order to have the temple be clean and repairs of the temple. It was in disarray. And as they're doing that, they find a copy of the law, which really amazes me because it tells me that there wasn't a copy of the law in all of Judah. They, they find it. They blow the dust off of it. Hilkiah comes and he begins to read it to the king, Josiah. And Josiah, as he hears the words, he's quickened in his heart. And, and he says, we have sinned. And so wonder we're going through the difficulties that we are because we turned away from the Lord. And so Josiah begins these reforms of restoring temple worship and, and, and the Passover as he hears the word. But as we have discussed, that they were reforms. There wasn't really regeneration that was taking place. The hearts of the people were still far from the Lord and, and true worship. And, and even though there was religiousness that was taking place, there wasn't true relationship with the Lord because they were still giving themselves over to idols and giving themselves over to um, that which was false. And as we go through chapters 7 through 10, we see that Jeremiah is given this message during that time that the, the reforms are coming into place. And we see that the words are very harsh that to the nation. And we really begin to see the spiritual condition of the nation. And what we're going to see in these chapters that he's going to expose Jeremiah, uh, their false worship. 
He's going to expose their false prophets, their false confidence, and their false gods. So let's pick it up here as we continue here in chapter 7 of of Jeremiah. Uh, We read as far as verse 11, but I'm going to back up at chapter 7, verse 8. That, behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. You will steal and murder and commit adultery and swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after their other gods whom you do not know. So he Here we see that um, they're trusting in lying words. We're going to have Jeremiah that's going to expand on this, saying that you're trusting in these false prophets that are coming along and giving this false confidence and assurance that everything's going to be okay. It's going to be peace. And it's not going to be peace because destruction is going to come, judgment's going to come, and it would come, of course, by the hands of the Babylonians. And so here they, they were given to lying words. And then it's interesting here, in verse 9 that we see that uh, the the condition of the nation, the sins that they were committing, steal and murder and adultery and burning incense to Baal and walking after other gods whom you do not know. You see, what they were doing is, is that they didn't actually abandon the temple ministry. They simply brought their idolatry into the temple courts and they just made Jehovah one of the many gods they worship. And it seemed like they were honoring the Lord But they weren't, and the Lord is calling them on it. Your hearts are far from me. Um, You're coming to me in pretense. Uh, You really are not giving yourselves to me, but that which is false. And so he's standing, as we open up chapter 7, at the gate of the Lord's house. He's proclaiming these words. This was uh, the place where the people went to. The spiritual center of the nation was the temple there in Jerusalem, dedicated to the Lord. And they were believing these lying words, and they were giving themselves over to that which was false. And as we continue to to read, then in verse 10, And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say that we delivered to do all these abominations. And has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves? In your eyes, behold, I even I have seen it, says the Lord." So this is where we left off last time. And of course, it was Jesus when he came in during his last week of his ministry, of his life. He comes into Jerusalem during that week of Passover. And he makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And then the next day, he goes into the temple there, uh, the second temple that was built. You see, this temple that's being spoken of was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., most of us know that. And then after the 70 years of captivity, here comes the rubble, uh, the civil leader, and Joshua the high priest in 536 B.C. They come back to rebuild the temple, and, and they did. And it was a very simple, very uh, modest building uh, that they built. And then Herod the Great began to remodify it right before the birth of Jesus. And that continued through the life of Jesus till uh, 63 AD. And it was a magnificent building with huge stones. And so they fell into the same kind of false security, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, whom he rebuked because they thought, we have this magnificent temple. We have this magnificent building. Look at these huge stones. And of course, Jesus would say to the disciples, disciples that the day is going to come when not one stone is going to be 
placed upon another. It's all going to be torn down. And that happened in 70 AD. So they were putting their security into, you know, the temple. The temple is what they were doing as uh, we know that uh, he's going to uh, say that, um, that you're putting a false confidence in the building rather than putting your confidence in the Lord. And so you have made this place a den of thieves uh, in your eyes. Behold, I have even seen it, says the Lord. Now, Jesus, when he did cleanse the temple the next day after his triumphal entry, as he overturned the money changers' tables, he drove out those who sold, you know, oxen and sheep and doves for sacrifices that we know that Jesus would quote here from Jeremiah chapter 7, that my father's house, as he also quoted from Isaiah chapter 56, Isaiah 56 verse 7 declares that my house shall be a house of prayer, for all the nations. And Jesus said, you have made my father's house, which is a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. So he brings those two verses together as he indicts the religious leaders as they were ripping the people off. They, they were um, taking advantage of the people. Uh, the priests were getting very rich as they were overseeing all the selling of the sacrifices and the exchange of money. And, and here Jesus saw this. This is to be a house of prayer. This is a place to, to honor the Lord, and yet you are taking advantage of the people. And unfortunately, we can see that in the church today. Uh, we can see that uh, there are those ministries and those churches, you know, with the prosperity, you know, message and, and those who uh, are really involved in the prosperity movement uh, and the prosperity gospel, which is not the gospel, but they'll say, hey, give to us. And, and they'll, you know, rip the people off and the seed faith kind of movements and things like that. And they're taking advantage of the people. I think I told you that we were coming back from Israel when we were on the plane uh, that they, you know, have, you know, your little screen there. And I was watching a Christian channel and there's one guy, a faith teacher that was on there and he was saying, did your debit card or your credit card get you into debt? Well, use your credit card, give to us to get you out of debt. And I thought, what a ripoff. This guy is, is telling people, use your credit card, give to us, and God's going to get you out of debt. And so these false messages, we see that that can happen. My point is this, what I pray for us here at Calvary Chapel, that this building and, and the churches in the building, it's the people. May we not put our confidence ever in a building or in budgets or how many people are coming, but our confidence is always in the Lord and honoring him. But we have dedicated this building to where we're going to give the gospel and the truth of God's word, and we want to honor him. We want to be humble before him, and we want to please him as we study God's word and not just knowing it, but applying it in our lives and applying it as we minister to others. And we never want to take advantage of others. Listen, the word of God is free. The gospel is free. And when I hear messages of, you know, send your seed faith and, you, you know, and you can claim this verse and, and it'll come true. But you got to send your seed faith. It's merchandising the gospel. The word of God is to be given freely. And I pray that this is always a house of prayer, that people can come who are hurting 
and people who need to hear the truth of the gospel and the word of God and receive prayer and be loved, that this place would be a place always where we honor the Lord. Are we going to do that perfectly? No, we're not. But it should be our desire. And here they were, they are playing religious games. They're ripping the people off. We know that as we're going to continue to read that covetousness was a big part of their culture from the leaders to the people. And then in verse 12, but now uh, go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these works, verse 13 says the Lord, and I spoke to you rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore I will do all uh, the house which is called by my name, and which you trust into this place, which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh, verse 15, and I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. And so Shiloh is mentioned here. Now, what is this about? When the children of Israel in the book of Joshua, when they came into the promised land, finally, finally, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, that they came into um, Gilgal. And as they came there, they set up camp. That's where the tabernacle would be for a while. But then eventually, the tabernacle would move to Shiloh, which is in the heart of Israel. Um, it's in the heart of today's called the West Bank. And I've been there. And, and, uh, and, and they've done excavations there where the tabernacle was. The tabernacle stood there for 370 years. And as you read, at the end of the days of the judges, so Joshua comes in, they conquer the land, they divide up the inheritance of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then you go to the book of Judges, and the book of Judges, the people began to rebel against the Lord. And as we see that, then uh, we see that um, they went through difficulties. And they went through this vicious cycle of, of, of rebelling against the Lord and being in captivity to some foreign king and then the Lord would raise up a judge a leader to deliver them well at the end of the days of the judges which was 400 years we go into first Samuel and in that historical book we see that the tabernacles there at Shiloh the children of Israel are defeated by the Philistines one of their major enemies that uh, would do battle against them and war against the children of Israel well, what happened was that somebody decided, why don't we get the Ark of the Covenant, the most precious, you know, furnishing in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. It, it symbolized where the Lord said that the, the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on top, that I will dwell between the cherubim. The mercy seat was made of pure gold that covered uh, that chest, that box that had the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod and a jar of manna, and it covered it, and it was made of two golden cherubim, and the, and the high priest would come in once a year uh, into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat to make atonement for the nation. So somebody says, why don't we get the Ark of the Covenant and let it lead us into battle against the Philistines? Well, what happened was, as you read in 1 Samuel chapter 4, is that the Ark of the Covenant was captured. And as it was captured there, uh, we see that um, the sons of Eli, Eli was the high priest. Uh, the sons of Eli were killed in that battle who uh, were there at the tabernacle ministering, but they were very corrupt uh, men. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. And as news comes from 
one who was from the tribe of Benjamin, which I find to be very interesting, to come and tell Eli, the high priest, your sons are, are dead, Eli. They've been killed in battle. The, the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. And as Eli heard that news, being an elderly man, he was so taken back and so grieved, he fell over backwards and broke his neck and he died. And then one of the, the uh, it, it, uh, wives of Eli's son, a daughter-in-law, she was with child and she went into labor and she had a son and they called him Ichabod, which means the glory has departed from Israel. Like I said, I think it's interesting that somebody from uh, the tribe of Benjamin came to tell Eli the bad news. Some have speculated that was Saul because Saul was the first king of Israel that was anointed, and we know that Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, but we don't know. That's just speculation. So the glory has departed. The Ark of the Covenant has been captured. And so the Lord here is saying to Jeremiah that what I did in Shiloh, the glory departing is going to happen here to the temple at this time. And we know that Ezekiel, that he sees a vision that the Shekinah glory of God would leave the temple there in Jerusalem and would, you know, ascend over the Mount of Olives and then leave. The glory had departed. And here, as there was judgment that came to the children of Israel at that time, there was going to be judgment that's going to come to the house of Israel during this time. So God could have protected his holy temple, but the temple was no longer holy. It was a den of thieves. Um, and, and so uh, the Lord was going to deal with the people because of the hypocrisy that desecrated God's house. And as we continue reading now uh, in verse 16... That therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Uh, this really is a sad verse, isn't it? Jeremiah, don't pray for them. They've rebelled so much, your prayers are going to do no good. What an indictment. And you see, it, 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 Jeremiah would be at the gate of the, of the temple. He's given this message. It's like the Lord is saying, okay, you're done, Jeremiah. You're done giving the message for right now. Now, we know that the Lord's going to continue to use Jeremiah to give that message. For 40 years, Jeremiah gave the message of turn back to the Lord, repent, turn to him. Judgment is going to come, and they refuse to listen. And so we see here in verse 16, the Lord is just describing and indicating to Jeremiah, they're not going to listen. They're not going to turn. They're going to continue in disobedience. They're going to continue to close their ears to me. In verse 17, do, not, do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem. Uh, the children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. In verse 19, do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? So the whole family was involved in this idol worship, and they were worshiping the queen of heaven, Ishtar and Ashtaroth, and uh, the goddess of fertility. And we see that as the whole family is making these cakes, the women are making doughs and cakes for the queen of heaven, uh, the whole nation was given over to, to this false worship. And here's the thing. The Lord is the one that ordained nations. He's the one that ordained the family, the family setting, the family structure. And the Lord did that 
to be a blessing to us. So when a family, you know, parents come and they become one, a father, you know, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one. That's a family right there coming together in marriage, Genesis chapter 2, as he ordained a family clear back then, and then raising our children in the ways of the Lord. Um, it's it's a, a unit where there is to be provision and protection and the training of the Lord to, to our children and, and to be able to leave a godly inheritance. All that is given to us in the Scripture. And when the family begins to turn away from the Lord or is fractured and strained, uh, when there is you know, sin that is involved in the family, then it begins to affect the nation. You see, we have a lot of challenges in our nation, don't we, today? And a lot of it is the result of the family unit being fractured and severed and strained and, and taken in the world's philosophy of what the family should be about. And when it begins in the family, and we see more of that, it begins to affect the whole nation. Here, the families, they're given over. The parents are teaching the children about, here, you know, here's this false worship, and, and we're going to make cakes to the queen of heaven and all of this. And it begins to reiterate throughout the nation. We as a nation face some very serious issues when it comes to the family. And if we continue to see our families being fractured and, and to tear down the family, I believe that the enemy, Satan, he knows, get at the families, get at marriages, get at the children. He will come after us. And I know that some of you, that you hurt in your heart because of those things that have happened and the difficulties and the challenges, and the Lord loves you. And he continues to want to work on your behalf. He wants to bring healing and restoration as we turn to him, as we cry out to him. But it begins to affect our nation, and, and we see that, and it concerns us, doesn't it? So here he's saying, you know, the whole family, they get together. And, and as we continue in verse 20, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my fury will be pulled out poured out on this place, on man and on beasts, on the trees of the field and on the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. And thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat, for I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. Verse 22, for I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt. But, verse 23, but this is what I commanded them, saying, obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the ways that I commanded you, that it may be dwell with, well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts, and went backwards and not forwards. That really caught my attention reading this. Here the people were disobeying. They didn't keep the commandments of the Lord. He says, ever since I brought you out of Egypt, you know, I gave you that commandment. I made a covenant with you at Mount Sinai. And you recall, as you go back to the book of Exodus, 
that the covenant that the Lord made with his people, that if you follow after me, it will be well with you. I'm going to bless you. You're going to multiply. The land's going to produce. You're going to be safe. I'll keep you from your enemies. But if you forsake me and go after other gods, there's going to be drought. There's going to be locust infestation. There's going to be famine. And and eventually there'll be captivity. And so they would go through, as you read some of the books of the Old Testament, uh, like uh, in Joel, there was a, a, a famine, there was a locust infestation, there was drought that happened, and it was all done so that the Lord was trying to get their attention. Listen, you've forsaken me, turn back to me, and it will be well with you. But you've forsaken my commandments. You see, for you and for me, it will be well with us as we walk with him, as we walk in obedience as we desire to please him. And I hope that we're, we understand that in our Christian lives, that the Lord doesn't tell us to walk after him and to obey him, to, to keep us you know, in, in you know, a place where life is boring or we can't enjoy life or God is a killjoy. Especially young people can think that. I want to be free to just live any way that I want. I want to be free to live my life. No, live for the Lord. Live for him. And you will experience that abundant life that he has for you. And he says, walk in my way that it may be well with you. Because if you live after the dictates of your heart, even as they were doing, of what's going to happen is the world and your flesh is going to hold you into bondage. And you're going to be deceived. And you're going to experience the consequences of sin and carnality. And you're not going to be free. For us to be free is live a life after Jesus. And great joy and peace will be a part of our lives. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. And you'll hear those who say, see, God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and all this life abundantly. No, the Lord is saying, I want you to be free. I want you to have joy. I want you to have peace. Uh, I want you to walk in strength and in wisdom. Aren't you glad that we have the word of God that we can study so we can walk in wisdom? We don't have to walk after the deception of the world. We don't have to be in darkness. We don't have to be deceived. We don't have to walk in foolish ways because we have the word of God that tells us and gives us truth. And God's word is truth. And it is forever. It stands forever. And it is true for every generation. And don't buy into those who say, well, the word of God is old school and archaic and it's not for us today. Yes, the flower fades, as Isaiah said, the grass withers, but the word of God stands forever. And it is divine and it comes from an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God from Genesis to Revelation. And it is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We've gone over that in 2 Timothy on Sunday morning. All scripture is God-breathed. A divine origin, uh, that it is eternal, and the word of God is beyond time and beyond culture. And you see, this Sunday is we're going to Look at the the final words of Paul as we continue in chapter 4 that we're going to talk about when a nation is in spiritual revival and when a nation is in spiritual decline. And I think that you're going to see that 
that right now in our nation, in our culture, we're not seeing revival. I pray that there is. But there is a dismissing of the word of God. And there is, you know, more carnality and sin that's being accepted even in the church. And it ought not to be. The things that Jeremiah are saying here are applicable to us today, what we see. That there are those places called the house of God that don't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. That don't believe that you need to repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus for salvation and, and call out to him what he did for you on the cross and make an atonement for your sins. There are those that don't believe that he rose from the grave. There are even those that write in our local newspaper, I've seen it, you know, in, in from a local church, that the cross offends them. And they'll even say that, that we just love one another and accept one another. Yes, we love people and we're going to love the lost, but we're going to love them enough to give them truth. And what the Bible says. Otherwise, they will have a false confidence. They will listen to false words. And even though it pleases their flesh, they will find themselves in bondage to sin and carnality. So we want to love people enough to give them the truth. Speak the truth in love, as Paul writes in Ephesians. We need to speak the truth, the truth of God's word and the gospel into people's lives. Otherwise, we're really not helping them. So here is these words given, and the Lord's heart is breaking. And notice here in verse 24, it says, and you went backwards and not forwards. That really, again, is something that I think is worth noting. So the question is, we take inventory tonight. Are we moving forward or are we going backwards? You're not going to be neutral. You're either going to be going backwards or you're going forward spiritually. And I pray that we put our hand to the plow, keep moving forward, even as Jesus said. That Paul would write in the book of Philippians that I press on towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus for the prize. I keep pressing on. We know that Paul, his final words that we're going to read on Sunday is that I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We all have a race to run and to move forward and to continue to, to live for him and to move forward and growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Growing in this word. Moving forward. Don't go backwards. But continue to grow. This is so important for us. Because the Lord has so much for you. That he wants you to learn and to grow and to be strong in him and to be wise. So he says, you went backwards and not forward. Verse 25, since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants and prophets daily, rising up early and sending them. Yet you did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their necks. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore, you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you as we finish this section here. And in verse 28, so you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished. Isn't that a sad, uh, you, know, a you know, words that are being spoken? Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. 
cut off your hair and cast it away and take it up a lamentation on the desolate heights. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord, and they have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built on the high places of Tophat, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnon, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire which I did not command, nor did it come unto my heart. So what was happening here, and it started with Ahaz, uh, a while before that, during the days of Isaiah, 100 years before this, Ahaz, that he was having the people uh, go to the Valley of Hinnon or the Valley of Gehenna, which is on the south end of the Temple Mount area. It's, you can go there today. It's a beautiful park today that, that you can walk through. It's very beautiful. It has trees. But back in this time, it was a place where they would put the idols of Moloch in that valley, and they would actually sacrifice their sons and their daughters on the arms of Moloch. And they believed that they would prosper, that blessing would come to them. That's how far that they have declined and, and how far they've gotten away from the Lord, that they're sacrificing their own children on the arms of Moloch. And we think, how could they do that? We live in a nation where over 60 million children, unborn children, have been aborted. And I want to say that there is forgiveness for anyone who has had an abortion. And God does forgive. And he heals. And he brings comfort. I want you to understand that. But I think of millions and millions of unborn children. And when I hear the discussions today about infanticide, that, that there are those who want to lead our nation that are advocating that, that it's okay for a child to be born and, and then put them to death if the mother doesn't want them. And I think, how far have we gotten away from the Lord? And we need to pray. And we need spiritual revival in our nation for people to come to Christ and to look to him. That's the hope of our nation, is for people to turn to Jesus in his love and hear a brokenhearted father saying that you are sacrificing your children, which I did not command, nor did it come to my heart. Therefore, behold, verse 32, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no more be called Tophet or the valley of the son of Heman, but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury in Tophet until there is no room. The corpse of this people will be food for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. And then it will cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. So this judgment is going to come, uh, and desolation is going to come, and there's going to be great destruction and death and devastation. That's going to take place because of your rebellion. Because you refuse to listen to the Lord. And at that time, chapter 8 says the Lord that they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of those princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. And they shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven which they have loved and which they have served and after 
which they have walked, which they have sought, and which they have worshipped. And they shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuge on the face of the earth. In verse 3, then death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of those who remain of this evil family who remain in all the places where I have driven them, says the Lord of hosts. So these are difficult words to read, but here's the thing. That the coming invasion of the Babylonians would be brutal. And what they would do is they would come in and they would plunder the graves and the tombs. And it would take, for two reasons they did that. Number one, to mock the people. They would take the bodies, they would take the bones, and they would just throw them out of the tombs and scatter them all over. And the Lord says that's going to happen. But also they would do that because they were looking for the spoils. There are many soldiers. There's only so many spoils that can go around. So they would look everywhere. They would tear everything apart, all the houses, all the buildings, stone upon stone, looking for any um, spoils or, you know, treasure or anything they can get. And that included the graves. So in the same valley that they were sacrificing, the children would be filled with the corpse from the dead from Jerusalem as well. You can see that today. There's all these tombs that are there in that valley. And as it turns the corner and they're going to throw those, you know, bones all over the place. And the Babylonians are going to attack and they're going to wish that they were dead as they would be carried off into captivity and the land would become very desolate. I think that as we consider this, and it's hard to read, but here's the thing, that if we rebel, that our life is going to be scattered, like these bones that are are being talked about here. And I can't help but think about what Paul writes when he was writing in Colossians chapter 1. He's talking about the deity of Jesus. And he says that all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. Now you might be thinking, what does that have to do with our study? Listen, he created all things. That means that he created you. And all things were created through him and for him. Which means that you are created for him. In Revelation chapter 4, we see that the vision of heaven there that John has, that you got the four living creatures and the 24 elders, and and they praising God day and night, and they say that that those you were created, and we were created for his good pleasures. That, That he created for you and for me, as this multitude is in front of that throne of God in that vision in chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation that we were created for his good pleasure. Do you know that? We were created for, we are his workmanship, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he ordained before the world even began. You were created for him, Colossians says. Not to be taken by the world and live for the world. God did not save you so you can continue in the world. The Lord saved you for his purposes. And listen, his purposes are good and glorious and wonderful. And great is the day when we understand that. When we say, Lord, that I'm your workmanship, your poem, which is where we get our word poem, that you have created me for good works which you have ordained. That, Lord, that I was created for your good pleasure 
to bring glory and honor to you, to be used of you. And when we have that mindset and that heart every single day, Lord, I'm just going to live for you because I was created by you and I was created for you. And then as you look at Colossians here, that, and he is before all things and in him all things consist, or literally it means that all things are held together by him. He holds the whole universe in the palm of his hand as the psalmist writes. He holds it all together. All things consist of him, which means your life. He holds your life together. And as you read Colossians chapter 1, he's preeminent over all things except for one thing. A heart who says, I don't want you, Lord. I want to do my own thing and live my own life. He will not force his way into your life. But I'll tell you what. That he holds our life together. And if you say, I don't want him holding my life in his hand and create it for his good pleasures, your life's going to be scattered. And there's going to be deadness that will come into your life like those dead bones that are scattered all over the place. And that's why these words are so important for us to understand what the Lord is saying, that I love you so much that I want to bless your life and look to me and believe in me and live for me as we just yield to him. And you know the neat thing about it is he does the work. It isn't me going, you know, I'm going to tough it out and I'm going to, you know, grip my teeth and I'm going to do it. It is just a heart that is surrendered, saying, Lord, I just want to live for you. And it is the Lord that works in us, Philippians chapter 2, both the will and to do of his good pleasures. You are created for his good pleasures. He will put his will and he'll enable you to do that. It's a work of the Spirit in our lives as we just yield to him. If we would just go to him, allow him to minister to our hearts. So as we continue, a few more verses, and then we'll finish up here tonight. Moreover, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord in verse 4, Will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back? Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding. They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I listened and heard, but they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course. As the horse rushes into battle, even the stork in the heavens knows their, her appointed times. And the turtle dove, the swift and the swallow, observe the time of their coming. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. So here is Jeremiah is going to when we continue on he's going to expose those false prophets and they're continuing to be disobedient and moving away from the Lord and their refusal to listen to the Lord it was irrational so Jeremiah is using as he's speaking the words of the Lord some analogies from life and nature to illustrate his point listen when somebody falls down what do you do you get up that's the sensible thing to do. If you find yourself on the wrong path, what do you do? Going in the wrong direction, you get on the right path. Most of us, you know, a lot of us, we got GPS on our smartphones or even in our cars, and we use them if we're going the wrong direction or taking the wrong way. 
we go to right way, don't we? we? We want to do that. If we go to Cheyenne, we don't go south, we go north. Uh, if people are sensible about everyday matters, why wouldn't any of us be sensible about eternal matters? Especially when the stakes are high. God is merciful. And God is, his mercies are new every morning. But there will be a time when we will give an account and stand before him. And he's saying here, even, you know, you guys are like a horse running into battle without any idea of the dangers involved. The birds even have instincts that, you know, to know the seasons. You should know the season that judgment is going to come because of your disobedience. And you see, as we see the events around us going on, we know that we're in the last days. And I pray that we would be ones, that we would be sensible that the Lord wants so much in our lives and his word is true for me. So why would I want to go after the world and get involved in the things of the world or prioritize the world? Because the Lord, that he is so good and merciful and his mercies are new every day. And maybe as we just close here tonight, that maybe there's a tendency that you're thinking, you know, I've been kind of going backwards or I've been enamored with the world a little bit too much, whatever the case may be. And I know that there's many that are listening on live stream here tonight that, that as you are listening, please don't turn it off right now. But you also, you know, in the honesty of our hearts, where are we at? Are we going backwards are we going forwards spiritually? Are we hearing? You know, Amos said that there was a famine in the hearing of the word in the land. He didn't say that, that there was a famine of the word of God. He said there was a famine in the hearing of the word of God. You see, there's Christian radio all over the place, Christian TV. There's churches on every corner. But I believe that there's more and more of a famine of the hearing of the word of God. Are we really taking heed? Are we hearing it? You know, James says that you're not just to be a hearer of the word, but what? A doer of the word. You don't look in the mirror and, and, and walk away and forget, you know, what you look like. In other words, what James is saying, as we look in the mirror in the morning, we all get up in the morning and, you know, our hair's messed up and we got to fix our face, you know, and all of this. We don't just walk away and just forget about what we look like. But we take heed. So as we allow the Lord to look into our hearts tonight, may it be a desire that I desire to hear you, Lord. And not just be a hearer of the word, but true wisdom comes as we are a doer of the word. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these words that are given to us here tonight. And I thank you that we can be here. And, um, Lord, these are hard words, and it seems like such harsh words of judgment that was coming. But, but Lord, it was the people that were refusing to turn to you and look to you to heed you. And I pray for us tonight that we would be ones that we would desire to do just that. Father, I thank you for those who made the journey out here tonight because I know they want to hear the word of God. And Lord, we thank you 
that we can be established in your truth and walk in your love. And may we give that truth to others. And I pray for our families, that our families, that we would be ones that we desire to, Lord, minister to our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, to, Lord, that you would help us to be the men and women of God that you want us to be, that those who are up on the campus would stand for truth as it's difficult or as we go to work or the old friends and family members that maybe perhaps come down on us because we do believe you. May we stand strong for you because we were created for your good pleasures. And, Lord, that you hold our lives together. And may we experience the joy and the peace that you have for us and the wisdom and the strength and the comfort. I thank you that we can be established in your truth because your word is truth. And Lord, as we take inventory tonight, that Lord, if there's anything that you are convicting in our hearts, we know it comes from you to draw us to you, not to push us away. And there's no condemnation for those now who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to be condemned. But you convict your children because you love us. And you want us to do what's right, to get on the right path. So anyone here tonight, any of us, that, that Lord, that, that we're not taking heed. That, Lord, we've been stumbling or headed towards the wrong path. That we would get back to the narrow way that you have for us in the right way because your ways are right and true. So, Lord, we thank you that we can be here tonight to hear your word and bless everyone here. Take us home safely tonight. The roads are slick and bless our day tomorrow. And and then as we return again on Sunday to be encouraged in your word and blessed in every way. So, Lord, we thank you for tonight. I thank you that we can come into this place and be refreshed and renewed in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Why don't you stand?